Hey everybody, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast, and today we've got a great show for you all about decibels, level, and loudness. Now, a lot of what we're talking about today is terminology, and this is kind of a two-part show. Um, The second part is all about commonly confused audio terms, Um, and I was going to just include uh, this part into that show, but I realized, you know, this is really deep uh, when it comes to level and decibels and loudness and all the terms that we use for those things, so I thought I'd make an entire show just about that, level, loudness, decibels, etc., etc., uh, so uh, make sure you check out our second show on this as well, Commonly Confused Audio Terms. Both of these shows are releasing at the same time. Hope you guys enjoy this and learn a lot from this and hopefully uh, become a little bit more informed or perhaps less confused about what all these terms mean. So let's get started. So to start the show off, I'd just like to introduce this whole thing by talking about the term dB or decibel. Um, we use this term a lot in audio and for you know good reason. It makes a lot of sense to us in certain ways. But the problem is we have a ton of things related to decibels. Now, it's a really important thing that I preface this whole podcast by saying uh, decibels or dB, it's a dimensionless unit, okay? All of the suffixes that we use, like dBSPL or dBFS or dBV or dB, you know, et cetera, et cetera, are used as a reference for something else to help us understand the term. Okay, sound comes from, you know, it comes in a lot of different forms. It can be transmitted through the air, like, you know, normal acoustic space. Um, it can be in the digital domain. It can be in a circuit, like, an elect- you know, piece of gear. So in order to help us bridge the gap between all of these things, we need the suffixes uh, to help us understand the reference and what we're actually talking about. Um, So i just like to start by defining decibel or dB. So a decibel is a tenth of a bell. Now, this is a very old unit. We don't really use bells anymore. We use dB. Um, And these units are often used to describe sound pressure and level and loudness and volume and amplitude and all kinds of things. But try to use a suffix wherever you can to avoid confusion. The only time when we really use dB by itself is just when speaking sort of generally or relatively. So, for example, like, turn that up by 1 dB. Um, If we're in the analog domain, you know, we will turn it up 1 dB. And if we're in the digital domain, we turn it up 1 dB. Um, We don't necessarily have to say, like, turn that up by 1 dBFS. You know, we don't need to say that. So, uh, you know, 1 dB or whatever, it's also common with EQs, like, hey, pull down 500 hertz by 2 dB. Um, And and so we generally use it as sort of a relative term to whatever scale we're talking about at the time. Um, But it's not, uh, you know, it's kind of, like I said, it's a dimensionless unit. Another thing I'd just like to say is that we say db okay not db's it's not plural right it's like it's like deer or sheep 1db 2db 3db little d big b uh, it's not 1db 2db's 3db's okay i know that that's getting nitpicky but you know i'm a meticulous person and i also appreciate good grammar so you know what are you going to say anyway <laughs> So another thing I wanted to talk about briefly before we go any further is that we need to remember that with decibels, we're generally 99% of the time working with a logarithmic scale. So we have a couple of things uh, regarding this sort of scale, and they're kind of known as the 6 dB rule and the 3 dB rule and the 10 dB rule. So I'm going to talk about each of these really quickly just to kind of get this, uh, you know, worm in your brain to keep thinking about this. So since the decibel scale is typically logarithmic, we generally assume that 6 dB is a reference for doubling or halving. So, for example, uh, 106 dB is twice as loud as 100 dB, and 94 dB is half as loud, quote, quote, as 100 dB. And 12 dB, in this case, is four times as loud, right? It's twice as loud and then twice as loud as that. So four times as loud. 
Uh, acoustically speaking, this also works for distance. So doubling the distance equals half the loudness equals minus 6 dB. So, for example, if you're standing four feet away from a speaker and then you move to eight feet, in theory, on paper, it will be 6 dB quieter. If you move from four feet to two feet, it will be 6 dB louder. Again, keep in mind, all this is in theory, right, on paper. Like, there are many other factors in a real-world scenario here, such as, like, room acoustics, reflections, you know, but this is all assuming a free field. This is how the math works. Now, you might have heard that doubling is a factor of 10 dB, and from everything I've read, I, I, I've kind of come up with a couple reasons for why people might have heard this. Number one, you know, it, it could just be common confusion with the fact that a logarithmic scale is based on a power of 10, and we're talking about that. But I think a lot of it came from uh, multiple studies done on perceived loudness for humans. So even though in theory we use 6 dB as a reference for doubling and halving, many studies have shown that humans perceive loudness doubling and halving at more of about 9 or 10 dB rather than 6 dB. So they would set people up in a room and they would say, you know, press stop on this button when the music seems twice as loud. So they'd play music or something and then they would say, okay, we're going to turn it up. And then they'd slowly turn it up and then they'd say, uh, you know, press the button when it's twice as loud. And then they do the same, press the button when it's half as loud. And after doing a bunch of those tests and averages, it was more like 9 or 10 dB than 6. So, but again, on paper, we generally use the 6 dB rule. Now, I know this is confusing, and you can read more up on this in the Master Handbook of Acoustics if you want to. Um, but when we're dealing with power, not, you know, volume or level per se, but power, uh, such as wattage, we use a 3 dB reference. So again, in theory, a 50 watt amp is really only about 3 dB louder than a 25 watt amp. So in terms of power, an increase in 6 dB is, quote, four times the power. So 100 watt amp is 6 dB louder than a 25 watt amp. And while that might seem hard to believe at first, I'm sure many of you guitar players out there have had amps with, you know, half power switches. So there'll be like 30 watt amp with a 15 watt switch. And it doesn't really get that much quieter when you go down to 15 watts. Um, at least a lot of times it won't. And that's part of this same reason. Um, so anyway, you can read more up on that. I don't want to bog you down with math or anything. But you can read more up on that in the Master Handbook of Acoustics, uh, which explains all of this, gives you all the formulas if you really want to delve into that. Anyway, so from here on out, I really want to talk about a lot of the units that we use, dBSPL, dBVU, etc. So let's just get started here. Um, the first one I want to talk about, I'm going to kind of talk about these in order of importance for us. Um, so the first one I wanted to talk about is dBSPL. Now, this is sound pressure level, which is a term that was derived from a reference point of 20 micropascals which is approximately the pressure the pressure level of the quietest sound that humans can hear. Now, again, all this stuff is a reference to some point. They say, okay, this is our zero reference, and then we're going to go from there. So uh, SPL is typically measured from like zero, which is 20 micropascals, up to, you know, 150, 160 dB SPL. Um, note it goes from zero on up. And then you actually can have a negative dBSPL because, again, we're referencing, we say that 20 micropascals is uh, zero. So if it's 18 micropascals, that would technically be negative, be, you know, whatever that would be. Um, so if you research up, for example, on Microsoft's anechoic chamber, which is, I think, the quietest anechoic chamber in the world, it's something like negative 20 dB SPL, something like that. Um, it's very, very quiet. I mean, you almost, you can't perceive that quiet. You have to measure it. Now, I will note that for sound in water, the reference is changed to one micropascal, and that's because the speed of sound in water is faster than it is in air, uh, just like it is in a lot of solids. Uh, in water, it's about 4.3 times faster, uh, which is really fascinating, but uh, in a lot of metals and things like that, the speed of sound is also faster. 
Um, now, so in layman's terms, what does this all mean? Uh, SPL level is essentially the sound pressure level in real life, like measured from someone speaking or from an explosion or from a jet engine or from a rock concert. This is measured, like I said, typically on a scale between like zero and 150 dB. Again, you can go above and below that, but that's, you know, extremely quiet and extremely loud. Um, also note that this is follows that 6 dB rule. So a rock concert at 94 dB SPL uh, is half as loud at a rock concert as a rock concert at 100 dB SPL. Now to measure this, we typically use an SPL meter. Um, and we can from there say, oh, look, this conversation that we're having is around 70 dB SPL uh, or that uh, music playing in the background is 65 dB SPL. Um, so on. So that's SPL. We use that a lot in acoustics and, you know, we use it for setting reference levels. We use it a lot in the live domain for setting target levels for concerts, for consistency. You know, it's a very widely used term. That's DBSPL. Um, probably the next most common term that you'll see is DBFS, which is decibels relative to a full scale. And all that really means is that this is the type of scale we use for digital audio. And uh, contrary to SPL, this is valued from zero as the maximum down to negative infinity. Okay, so that's a big difference between SPL and F DBFS. And you'll know this from any of your DAWs out there. You'll see the top level on your fader, you know, is probably around zero. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But, you know, zero is your max level, your clip level. Um, and then below that, negative six, negative 12, whatever, is your DBFS level. Okay, it's defined relative to the maximum at which a device, can, you know, uh, can handle before it clips, you know, which we typically assume is zero dB in digital. There is a relationship between DBFS and DBVU. So let me first explain what DBVU is. Now, dBVU is a volume unit. That's what VU stands for, like VU meter, volume unit, meter. You'll typically see these with, you know, analog gear with VU meters. Um, now, again, while this is kind of a useless measurement for us in a way, it, it, it makes sense. And so remember that analog gear, you know, is dealing with an electrical circuit, right? It's not digital and it's not, uh, you know, sound in an acoustic environment. It's in an electrical circuit. So we're dealing with voltage. So zero VU is equal to 1.228 volts RMS, uh, which is a power output of about 2.5 milliwatts when applied across a 600 ohm load. And that's the pro audio standard. So you'll see a lot of uh, gear labeled it like, you know, pro audio gear is plus four dBU. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But zero VU is equal to plus four dBU. Now, that doesn't mean that it's zero like we have in digital. Okay. Uh, it's different. Again, this is all a reference. You say zero VU is like your quote maximum level. Um, but that's really dependent on the reference of what's coming after it. So what did I mean when I said there's a relationship between DBFS and DBVU? Uh, well, we talked about that a little bit in our show on gain staging. So you might go check that out. But it's important to note that the relationship is wholly dependent on the calibration of your digital unit. So again, we're trying to interface, you know, decibels from an analog meter to the digital world with DBFS. So a lot of converters and things like that use a reference of minus 18 dBFS equals zero VU, which means essentially when you're running a piece of analog gear and the meter is showing zero VU, which again, VU meters are not really peak meters. They're more like RMS meters. Um, they're, I mean, really they're measuring voltage, but you know, it's more closer to an RMS meter that should be on average about negative 18 dB FS. But some pieces of digital gear use negative 16 dB FS for their reference. Some use negative six, some use negative 20. You and some of them, you can set it yourself. I know on a lot of the Apogee units, you can set the reference level yourself. All of these units are references to something to say, this is our zero point and you can go above and below that or whatever. Again, you can read up on all this stuff if you really want to understand it more, but I'm trying to introduce all these terms. So you're not at least feeling so helpless or confused about what these are. 
um, we have another term, a set of terms that we use for SPL measurements uh, with applied weighting filters, okay, W-E-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, weighting. Um, and what that basically means is uh, an EQ curve on the measurement. Uh, and this is really done to approximate the response of the human ear because typically SPL meters, you know, are going to be full frequency spectrum by default. Uh, and so they created these weighting curves to say like, okay, yes, but human ears are not perfectly flat. They don't go all the way down to, you know, two hertz or whatever. Uh, and they're way more sensitive in the high mids. So we need a weighting curve to make an SPL meter seem a little bit more accurate to what we hear. So uh, the four common curves that you'll see are dBA, dBB, dBC, and dBD. <laughs> Man, that's a tongue twister. So all of these suffixes are capitalized, dBA, dBB, dBC, and dBD. So really, again, all this is is just an SPL measurement with one of these applied weighting curves. So for reference, and you can look up the graphs of what these look like, but C is the flattest. It's not perfectly flat, but it's really darn flat. Um, B is slightly rolled off in the lows. Uh, A, DBA, is heavily rolled off in the low end with a slight bump in the highs and high mids. D is subtly rolled off in the low end just a little bit. Um, but then boosted in the high mids uh, between like 1 and 10K. So again, these are used to sort of approximate more of how we as human beings uh, hear because our, our hearing is nonlinear, it's not perfect. Um, we actually have sort of our own frequency curve to our ears. Uh, if you think about it, it's like a little horn, you know, like a little trumpet or something coming out of our head. So it's going to have a certain resonance and tone. It's going to pick up things differently, you know, just like any other thing, you know, just like speakers, depending on the size, have a different sound. Our ears are very small and they have their own sort of sound to them. Now, there are a bunch of other terms with uh, dB, things like dBV, which is voltage relative to one volt, dBU, which is relative to 0.775 volts. Um, dBm, which is power relative to one milliwatt, and dBw, which is power relative to one watt. Okay, so I'm going to just kind of quickly go through these real quick. So uh, again, most of these are not really important to most of what we do as audio engineers, but they are terms, no less, kind of important to know. dBu is voltage relative to 0.775 volts. Now, of course, this is going to be more confusing, but this used to be called dBV, lowercase v, but it was changed later to avoid confusion with dBV, uppercase v. So now we say dBU and dBV, lowercase u and uppercase v. Pro audio gear is typically plus 4 dBU, which is 1.228 volts. And consumer audio is negative 10 dBV. Okay, which is 0.316 volts. You might initially think, oh, the difference between consumer gear and pro audio gear is 14 dB, negative 10 plus 4. But you got to note the suffix, plus 4 dBU versus minus 10 dBV. So the difference between these two is actually 11.79 decibels when you actually do the equation based on voltage. Not based on dB, because again, the suffix matters. That really matters in terms of, you know, how all these things play together. Now, dBm uh, is power relative to one milliwatt. So zero dBm equals one milliwatt. And a 10 dB increase in this level is 10 times the power. But because we're talking about power, a 3 dB increase, not 6, a 3 dB increase is approximately doubling the power. And dBW is just the same, basically, but instead of milliwatt, it's 1 watt. So power relative to 1 watt. Um, now, again, how useful are those terms to us in everyday life? Not very useful, but when coming up with electrical circuits, when dealing with conversion, when dealing with interfacing different pieces of gear that have different output levels like line level and, uh, you know, uh, mic level and, you know, all these different types of level references, it's important to kind of just know why they're there and where they come from. Uh, another thing to mention also is that, and I might have already said this, but zero VU, 
zero uh, dBVU is equal to plus four dBU, little u. Now, I should also say that dBVU is capital, capital V, capital U. I know this is a lot to take in, but we're pretty much out of the water with the dB terms now. <laughs> uh, so from here on out, I want to talk about a lot of other terms that we use in terms of volume and loudness and level and, and all these other terms that we use. And uh, hopefully this will help you kind of understand where all these terms are coming from and why they exist, right? So uh, let's talk about volume versus level versus gain versus attenuation versus loudness versus headroom. Okay, these are all very similar terms, but they're completely different in terms of what they really mean. We use them in similar contexts, right, but not really talking about the same thing. So let's just hit these one at a time. Volume. Now, volume is a very generic term, and we probably shouldn't use it very much in pro audio because it doesn't really tell us anything. No, typically when we talk about volume, what we really mean is level or amplitude. Um, but we're not really talking about the same exact thing. And again, amplitude is another term that is kind of confusing because in some cases, amplitude means the sort of level of the transient in an ADSR envelope. And then we have, uh, you know, like... Uh, velocity, which is kind of like amplitude for MIDI and things like that. So anyway, we're going to talk more about that. So level is a better term for pro audio use. And this generally refers to, you know, the level of uh, audio signal. So like you turn up a fader, you're increasing the level. Um, gain. Now, guitar players will understand this term, but it's also very commonly confused when it comes to analog gear. Gain is a relative term uh, in regards to amplification, and it's important that generally gain is ex expressed without a suffix, okay? It's not like dBG or something. It's simply a ratio of input to output in an amplifier. So this could be a guitar amp, but it could also be a mic preamp. So if an amplifier has an input of, say, negative 10 dBU and puts out a plus 4 dBU signal, then it has 14 dB of gain. Minus 10 dBU, not dBV, dBU. And at the output, you're getting plus 4 dBU. That is a 14 decibel increase in gain. So it really gain just has to do with amplification, how much a mic preamp or a guitar amp is turning up you know, uh, increasing from your input to your output. Now, attenuation is basically like negative gain. On a guitar amp, this would be like your master volume. So this is actually more typically towards the end of the chain, at the output, not at the input. And uh, so 20 dB of attenuation is essentially just turning down the level by 20 dB. Simple as that. And you'll see, like, with monitor controllers, we'll have stepped attenuators, which, again, you have to think about it like this. If you have a pair of speakers that their maximum output is 100 watts, okay, they're powered speakers and they can put out 100 watts. When the volume is all the way up, that is 100 watts. So when you turn it down, you're just attenuating that. And the same goes for guitar amps. Like, if you've got a 50-watt guitar amp, the volume all the way up is 50 watts. And from there, you're attenuating down from that. That's all an attenuator really is. So again, with any type of amplifier, really. So even a mic preamp. You know, if you've got a microphone preamp that says, oh, we've got 70 dB of gain, that mic preamp cranked all the way is 70 dB. And so that volume pot or that, you know, control there isn't, isn't adding level or gain. It's attenuating it, right? Just think about that, okay? You're turning down from 70 dB of gain from that mic preamp. You're turning down. You're, you're doing negative gain. You're not really necessarily adding gain, so to speak. Um, again, I don't want to get too crazy here, but think about that for a minute. Um, loudness. Okay, this is a hard term. We're going to talk about this a lot um, after this, but... Loudness is a rel relative term. Um, people use it to describe a lot of different things, but in pro audio, when we say loudness, we typically and ideally should really only be referring to perceived loudness. 
of a sound, of a mix, of a master, perceived loudness. Now, again, that's hard because if you say that needs to be louder, you know, what some people take that to mean just turn it up a little bit, but other people take that to mean, no, it needs to have less dynamic range. It's, it's a hard term to use, but we're going to get more into specific terms that we can use to better represent loudness. Headroom. Okay, here's another important term. Now, again, we talked about this on the gain staging show, but typically speaking, headroom is the difference between the RMS level of a source and the level at which it clips. Now, again, this is kind of a tricky term because uh, it's often used to describe the difference between peak level and the clip point as well, which Bob Katz calls that the cushion. So he actually uses both terms. So the cushion as he calls it, is the difference between the peak level and the clip point. But the headroom is the difference between the RMS level and the clip point. Um, so you can kind of take that with a grain of salt, but in general, headroom, for in layman's terms, is uh, you know room above your signal before the sound clips. So if your mix, if the highest level that your mix goes is negative 1 dBFS, then you have one dB of headroom. Um, now, again, Bob Katz would call that the cushion, um, but because there's, it, it really, it, it's important to note that he has a separate term for it because it really is kind of two different things: the difference between the clip point and the RMS level versus the clip point and the peak level. Those really are two different things, um, you know. And some people might say like. Uh, total headroom or like analog headroom is the difference between, since in analog we're using VU meters most of the time, they would describe that as the difference between the VU reading and the clip point, which again is going to be more like RMS level. So that's kind of where all that came from, like headroom. In the analog domain, uh, you gain stage to zero VU, but zero VU is not where it clips, Right, analog gear clips much higher than that. Okay, it clips at like plus twenty or something like that, plus eighteen. Plus some gear clips at like plus forty, like really high end gear, uh, like Millennia and stuff like that. Like it has insane amounts of headroom above quote zero. But we're talking about zero VU there, not zero dBFS. Which in digital, zero dBFS is the clip point. Um, that's where it clips, right? You get the little red light and it clips. But in analog, zero is not the clip point, okay? We're talking about VU. Zero VU is not the clip point. Anyway, you can go back and hopefully maybe listen to the beginning of the show a couple times and maybe this will all start to make sense. So the next couple of terms I want to talk about are dealing with level. And um, we have a couple of terms that we use, peak level versus true peak level versus RMS level and crest factor. It's another term we use. So peak level. What is peak level? This is the highest voltage that a waveform reaches, or in layman's terms, the loudest that something goes, right? Uh, virtually useless for gauging loudness, though. It's really only useful for peaks and maximum levels. You know, like in your DAW of choice, you know that you don't want to go above zero. You don't want your peaks to go above zero because it'll clip. Now, that typically is going to be a peak level, what we're seeing in the digital domain. But like I said, remember that on a VU meter, that's not a peak level. That's more of an RMS level. Um, so what is RMS level? RMS just stands for root mean square, which essentially is basically a way of just saying average, okay? So the average level of something is the RMS level. Um, typically a pretty good measurement of loudness, um, but we're going to talk about why it has, it has its flaws. We're going to talk about that later. Now, what is true peak level? So this is a term that was developed a little bit more recently uh, to be a little bit more accurate than, quote, peak level in the digital domain. So why, right? Well, on paper, zero in the digital domain is our clip level or our maximum level. But as you've probably noticed in your DAW, um, most plugins and our faders go a little bit above that. Like they can go to like plus three or plus six, and uh, that's kind of strange because you're like, well, why even go that high if we 
quote, can't go above zero. Well, that's where true peak level comes into play because true peak level takes this into account as well as inner sample peaks, which are literally just peaks between the audio samples. Um, so technically speaking, the unit that we use for true peak level is DBTP, all caps uh, TP. DB, of course, is little d, big B, but DBTP is the unit we use for true peak level. And as you've noticed, you can clip plugins. You know, you can, the level can go above zero. Um, and so when you're seeing that, you're technically seeing a true peak level. Uh, and on a lot of uh, limiter plugins and metering plugins um, that have intersample peak uh, meters that actually can detect those peaks, that, that's a true peak level reading. So again, it's basically like peak level, but more accurate. Now, what is crest factor? So crest factor is the level difference between the peak and RMS value. It's typically used as a measure of dynamics, right? So the maximum level versus the average. That's our crest factor. Now, since the highest level, quote, quote, in digital audio, we assume is zero, zero dBFS, and since most of our, like, masters are going to go to zero, often our crest factor is basically equivalent to the RMS level, but they're not the same, okay? Because let's say, just simple terms here, let's say your peak level is zero and your RMS level is negative 10. Well, you have a crest factor of 10 dB. But if your peak level is negative 1 and your average level is negative 10, you have a crest factor of 9 dB, right? It's just the difference between the peak and the average. So don't get confused there. Um, many times it will show up as being the same as your RMS level because we push stuff up to zero, but they're not the same, okay? It's the difference between the peak and the RMS, Let's move on to talking about dynamic range a little bit. Now, dynamic range is a hard term, again, because technically speaking, dynamic range is the difference between the quietest sound produced and the loudest sound produced, or the loudest sound audible versus the quietest sound audible. For example, human hearing has a dynamic range of about 140 decibels. That means that the quietest sound we can hear versus the loudest sound we can hear is about 140 decibel range. 24-bit digital audio has a dynamic range of 144 decibels, meaning the quietest sound capturable is negative 144 and the loudest is zero, you know, again, on paper. But it's important to note that Audio engineers today often use the term dynamic range to refer to um, the crest factor. You know, how much dynamic range does your mix have or your master have between the peak level and the average level? And while that's technically incorrect to say that they're the same, it's generally understood that you know, when somebody says this, you know, this master only has 9 dB of dynamic range. I mean, technically not. But what they're really saying is this master has 9 dB between the peak and average level. Uh, so just realize that they're not technically the same thing. Uh, they're very closely related. But again, that's one reason why a lot of these terms are confusing because, we kind of use them loosely and nobody really polices that. <laughs> and that's okay, you know, we generally understand what people are talking about, but, you know, I just want to clear that up. So DR, what is DR or a DR rating? DR7, DR8, what is that? So this was a term that was developed to kind of combat that problem I just mentioned, that like dynamic range is not really what they're talking about. Like, what they really mean is crest factor. So DR is a dynamic range unit, capital D, capital R, and it's typically used without a suffix or prefix or anything. So a master with a DR7 rating or DR8, uh, for example, a DR8 rating means there's 8 dB of dynamic range in that crest factor, right? That 
that uh, between the peak level and the average level. So a very dynamic recording would have a rating of like DR14 or DR16, but a very crushed, hot, compressed master would be more like DR6, DR7, DR5. Okay, so I like the term DR because it's a bit more specific. Like when we talk about dynamic range acoustically, we're talking about from the quietest to the loudest. But dynamic range in audio, it's you know, it can be a little bit more, like digital audio can be a little more confusing because people say, oh, this only has 10 dB of dynamic range. But what they really mean, is the crest factor is 10 dB. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, you can read up more on these online and especially at the um, Ian Shepard's website and a lot of these websites talk about mastering and loudness and things like that. So another term or set of terms that I want to talk about, and this is a, a bit of a confusing term, is LU, LUFS, and LKFS. Okay, if you're not familiar with these terms, don't feel bad. They're relatively new terms. Um, they've really only been kind of solidified since like 2011. And these terms were developed for two main reasons. Number one, to help get an even more accurate measurement of perceived loudness than RMS. Now, like I said, RMS is a pretty good measurement already for average level or how we perceive loudness. So something with a higher RMS is going to sound louder. Um, anyway, but uh, they created LUFS and LKFS to, uh, to help get an even more accurate measurement. And the second reason they created it is to create a reference point for loudness so that you can set a new zero as a maximum level. Uh, this way, you can develop loudness standards for movies, film, TV, and audio applications so that everybody is referencing the same zero, so that you don't have like you know, one movie in one movie theater just slamming loud and another movie in another movie theater being like crazy quiet and that between TV shows and commercials isn't like crazy differences in, in loudness. They can now say, no, you need to follow this standard, uh, which is a very accurate representation of perceived loudness. And you can all say, my maximum level is this. And the level that they have sort of established is around negative 23, um, which, again, sounds really quiet. But if everyone follows that standard, there's tons of headroom. They can work with it. And everybody says that's our new zero. That's our new maximum, right? Anyway, you can read more up on that. But uh, So just remember that peak level is a terrible measurement for loudness. It doesn't tell us anything about how loud something is. It just tells us, you know, how What's the maximum level that it achieved? And the reference that I've given for this before is like, imagine you have a song that's four minutes of silence and then at the very end, you have a really loud pop and it goes to negative one. Your peak level is going to say negative one, but I mean, the rest of the song was silence. So that doesn't tell us that on average, that song was really, really quiet. So RMS level is a much better reference than peak. But it still has its flaws. So LUFS or LKFS, these were created to be more accurate. Typically, two tracks, two songs or two, you know, commercials or whatever with the same LUFS measurement are generally going to be really close in terms of perceived loudness. So it's becoming really common in uh, the film world. And there have even been like standards kind of like rules basically like you have to adhere to this because we want to create loudness standards that are loud enough but not too loud but enough so that you know you still have dynamic range we're not trying to like cripple you there and make you have like really squashed mixes or like overly dynamic mixes but we're trying to develop some sort of standards so that we don't have to be adjusting levels constantly and trying to match things and people competing for loudness and all this stuff Anyway, so one of the primary reasons why LUFS or LKFS is so much more accurate than RMS is that LUFS employs a bit of a gate. Um, you know, just like a gate you might put on your snare or your kick or whatever. So when the level drops below 10, 10 LU or loudness units below the ungated signal, um, that level is discarded from the measurement. Now, what does that mean? Okay, so all that means is 
um, a song with, say, a passage of silence in the middle, like an eight-bar break or a super quiet section that j- drops down to just like vocal only, it will not affect the average. Okay, with RMS level, that's included. So as you know from doing averages, zero will affect your average. So if you have, you know, 10, 10, 10, and zero, your average is no longer 10. Okay, it drops significantly because you have that zero in there. That's the problem with RMS, is that RMS is strictly taking an average from everything from the quietest part of the intro to the loudest part, everything. Loofs is ignoring stuff that drops below a certain level. Now, originally, that sort of like gate point was set 8 LU below, um, but that was changed in 2011 to 10 LU below. And all that really means is basically they take the sort of average measurement, the RMS, and if something drops 10 LU below that, uh, and we'll talk about LU here in a second, um, if something drops 10 LU below that average, um, then it discards it from the uh, from the measurement. This really gives you a much better, uh, much tighter example of loudness because like the beginning of a song and the end of a song that fade in or fade out or a really quiet section of the song, those are discarded from the measurement, which really is more like, okay, what we're really trying to hear is the... Uh, is the actual like music when the music's playing and everyone's going and you know not the really like quiet like one measure break in the middle of the song that doesn't count so that's kind of the deal with loofs and LKFS so let's talk about what each of these mean just to clear up some of these things so LU is uh, similar to DB in that it's a relative term sort of like floating term um, now typically one LU is roughly equivalent to one DB now we're talking again about like average levels here, not you know peak levels. But one LU is based so like if your loofs measurement is negative ten, turning your track up by one dB is one LU, one loudness unit. And again, I know that sounds confusing. You can look that up more for more information, but it makes sense when you think about it. So uh, LUFS, loudness units relative to the full scale. You can almost think of this as like the average average level <laughs> because it's it's discarding that quiet stuff so it's really a better more accurate average level than rms um, now lkfs so this is basically the same thing as lufs now originally lkfs was ungated and lufs was gated but LKFS is, so you might say, well, then what's different about LKFS than RMS? Um, That's because they both use a weighting curve. Remember we talked about DBA, DBC, all those weighted uh, SPL curves? Well, uh, these um, loudness unit measurements (laughs) um, use something called K-weighting, K-weighting, okay? And K-weighting is just a filter that, again, tries to approximate human hearing a little bit better. And all it really is is like a mild high-pass filter starting at like 200 hertz and then a high shelf that's like, you know, about 4 dB starting around 1K and, you know, it's it's up to about 4 dB around 3 or 4K uh, all the way up to, you know, 20K. And this more accurately portrays kind of the sensitivity and frequency response of the human ear. Now, to be clear, both LUFS and LKFS use this weighting. A lot of people are confused and they think that LKFS uses the K weighting and LUFS does not. But that's not true. LKFS was first. And so it was a essentially an RMS level with a weighting curve. That's really all it was. But then um, they added LUFS and said, well, this has a gate and LKFS does not. But then they changed that and said, no, they both need gates. So now LUFS is more of the standard. I recommend using LUFS or LUFS um, because it's less confusing, it makes more sense, and it's the one that most people use. It's the one you'll see on mastering meters and things like that more often, uh, LUFS or LUFS. 
Now, when I keep saying they changed it, they changed it. Who is they? Who are these mystery people, right? (laughs) Um, Well, basically, this was put all into place by a couple of institutions that um, are setting loudness standards and dynamic standards for broadcast um, for broadcast stations. So for movies, film, TV, etc. So the ITU and the EBU, um, which you can look more about. The, they have tons of information. Also, TC Electronic was heavily involved with a lot of this, um, dealing with you know uh, loudness terms and trying to create standards for the broadcast industries um, to help them better regulate the volume of things that come in. So you don't have this like weird competitive thing where like this show is competing with that show in terms of loudness. And this movie isn't like way louder than this movie. And this movie's like super, super dynamic and goes from like really, really quiet to insanely loud. They wanted to try to establish some sort of, um, Hey, can we all just like stop competing and set a nice, comfortable dynamic level that we all like and that works and it's going to give us plenty of headroom to turn things up or down um, and it's also going to make you happy and stop competing. So the ITU and the EBU both sort of have worked with – and there's been a, a couple of other people involved, but uh, that's who they are, okay? These sort of uh, institutions or, or, you know, groups of people uh, developing these sorts of standards for broadcast and whatnot. Anyway. So another thing I wanted to talk about really quick is K-metering. So a lot of people confuse what K-metering is um, as opposed to like K-weighting. Okay, so the K-meter system, um, unlike the K-weighted measurement there, is developed – the K-meter system was developed by Bob Katz, the mastering engineer. K-weighting was not. Okay, the K-meter system or the K-system was developed by Bob Katz, and this is a system of metering, typically for mastering, but you could also use it for mixing, that is attempting to prevent overcompression and the loudness war. Now, if you're not familiar with the loudness war, um, really you need to educate yourself on what this is. And I'm sure you do know by now, but this is basically talking about the tendency of music to get squashed and compressed in the mix and in the master in an, ef- in an effort to compete for loudness, kind of like we were talking about with Loofs, you know, in the, in the film industry, they were kind of starting to experience the same thing. And they were like, Hey, let's nip this in the bud and set a loudness standard and say, you have to do this. Um, we have not done that in the audio industry. <laughs> uh, they've done it in the film and broadcast industries, but not in the music industry. Uh, it's, which is unfortunate, but, um, you know, so the loudness war has been going on for a long time. It's sort of been, you know, songs have been getting louder and louder and louder since the 70s, 80s. You know, it's been getting louder and louder and louder. And now songs are super loud and everything's crushed and nothing has dynamics. And, and it's just unfortunate because, you know, you listen to a lot of older songs like Michael Jackson or ACDC and they've got so much punch and dynamics. Um, and, and yeah, you have to turn your volume control up, but like, who cares? Another thing I'd like to note about the loudness situation is that most playback uh, websites and devices like iPhones or iPods or uh, even like iTunes and YouTube and Spotify, almost all of these things um, have a, a loudness normalization function built in. So YouTube, for example, got tired of people complaining that they would go to one video and it would be crazy loud and they'd go to another video and it'd be crazy quiet and they'd have to crank up their volume. So these, and same with Spotify, people don't want to listen to a playlist on Spotify or on their iPhone or whatever and have to adjust their level between songs. Now, this sounds kind of silly, you know, if you're saying it out loud, I'm like, man, are we really that lazy? We don't want to turn a knob up and down. But I understand that like when you're driving or something, it can be really annoying to, you know, set a comfortable level for your CD or your, you know, your MP3 player. And then a song comes on and it's super loud. And then another song comes on and you can't hear it above your car engine. You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of annoying, especially like on a road trip, something like that. Um, you know, and that's just, I got to admit, it is kind of annoying. 
Um, so most of these things, even your iPhone can do it, uh, employ this sort of level match feature where it looks at the average level and adjusts accordingly. So it takes the average level of all of these videos and songs and all this stuff and just says, okay, let's take a common denominator here. You're all now going to be at this. So that when you're playing it back, again, it's not peak level, it's average level. Everything sounds about the same. So because of that, there's really no reason for the loudness war to even exist anymore. I mean, level matching things have been, you know, people have been employing those for a long time and it's starting to get more and more common. And there's really no reason to try to compete for loudness anymore um, other than, I guess, CDs. But I, even then, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to take that CD home and put it in your computer. If it even has a CD drive anymore, you're going to rip it and put it onto your iTunes or, you know, what on your iPod, iPod or iPhone. And that has level normalization. So <laughs> it's just pointless. The, the loudness war is so pointless. And I understand it. Like, I understand that stuff that's too dynamic can also be kind of annoying as well. Like a rock song that has a dynamic range of like, you know, 18 dB, that's that's pretty dynamic and that can kind of almost take you out of the moment in a way, but so can one that's negative six dB. That's just the same volume, the whole song. And it just wears on your ears. It gets tiring to listen to. You start getting, you're hearing that distortion and the compression and the limiting, and it's just fatiguing. It gets harsher. You know, the things you have to do to a mix to get it that loud are significant. And, um, you know, it's, it's just strange, you know, it's, it's really a weird situation. So anyway, um, I just want to say that the K system, getting back to all this was developed as an attempt to prevent this. And it involves three primary factors. Number one is choosing a target level reference based on the material that you're working on. So, uh, there are three target levels or three scales, the K-12 scale, K-14, and K-20. And these correspond with RMS levels. So um, when your meter shows zero, you're actually achieving about a negative 12 RMS level. So for modern rock, pop, stuff like that, you might choose the K-12 system or the K-12 reference or the K-12 scale. For more open genres of music like folk or jazz or something, you might choose K-14. For classical or orchestral music, you might prefer K-20. Uh, so that's the first step is picking a scale or picking a reference level. Then number two is using the K-System peak and RMS meters, which uh, are both linear rather than logarithmic. Um, on a typical meter, you know, it's logarithmic. Top of the scale is very small compared to the bottom. Um, what I mean by that is like when you look at a fader, like the top half of the fader might be zero to negative 12, but the bottom half is negative 12 to negative infinity. <laughs> but on a linear met on a linear meter, um, this is much more evenly represented. And this prevents people from trying to squish their stuff all the way up to the top of the scale and get it as loud as possible. It's more of just like a mental thing than anything. But part three of the K system is calibrating your monitor controller to a specific SPL level. And how this is done is basically you play full spectrum pink noise um, at zero dB on your preferred scale. So let's say you're using the K12 scale. You play pink noise at zero dB on that, which is negative 12 RMS. And then you set your monitor controller, like my... I've got my dangerous here. You can probably hear it in the background. Um, you set your monitor controller uh, with an SPL meter to somewhere around 82 to 84 dB SPL, which, as you might know, is where the human ear is most accurate or most linear. So when you do this, your monitor controller is now calibrated. So you know that at this volume, you can put a little piece of tape or pencil mark or whatever, and you say, at this level, um, my ear is the most accurate, and I can mix at this level or master at this level and know that it's the most accurate my ears are really going to be. And it's simultaneously calibrating that with your uh, maximum 
sort of goal level, which in this case would be on a K-12 system, it'd be negative 12 RMS. So I know this sounds complicated, but it's actually a really good idea. It really helps you to not make overly, you know, dynamic or overly crushed mixes. Um, and a lot of things have this sort of metering in it. Even the FabFilter uh, limiter, Pro-L, has the K meter in it. Um, which is really useful, I find, because then all you're really focusing on is getting it up to zero, which is a lot easier. Because if you have, you know, set to K12, that really just means that zero equals a 12 dB RMS, negative 12 dB RMS, um, which is helpful. It's a lot easier to the brain, like psychologically, to shoot for zero than it is to shoot for negative 12. It's easier to read, it's easier to understand, and it's also easier to understand like, oh, it's reading about negative 12, and I've got a couple of, you know, RMS is kind of jumping up and down, and the big section at the end, it's going up to plus two. That means I'm really going to like negative 10, you know, ish, but that's still plenty fine. That's not too loud, it's not too crushed. So anyway, um, I hope all these terms have been helpful. I just wanted to sort of summarize with something here, which is remember that what all what what it really comes down to in terms of loudness is crest factor relative to how you're playing it back. It's not really about the actual reading so much as it is about the dynamics because for example, if you have a song with a negative 18 RMS level, that's great. But that's not the whole picture, because if your peak level is negative 12, that means that you really only have a dynamic range of 6 dB. So if you then turn that song up, like with your volume control um, on your stereo or whatever, to match other songs, which are typically going to have a peak level of 0 dB, then your equivalent RMS is now negative 6, which is really crushed. So um, crest factor is really important and the sort of dynamic range of your material is really important. When we talk about, you know, songs that have a lot of dynamic range, we're really talking about the difference, again, the crest factor between the peak level and the average level. So something that is like 8 dB is pretty hot. 10 dB, 12 dB of dynamic range, quote, quote, is much more open and then something like 14 or 16 or 18 dB uh, in terms of dynamic range or crest factor is a lot more dynamic. Okay, so typically me personally, I prefer most of my masters for most of the music that I work on between, you know, negative nine and negative 14. Negative eight on some stuff, but that's pretty hot for me personally. Like negative nine is a little bit better. Like that to me is plenty hot, plenty hot. Negative 10 is even better, in my opinion, but anything louder than that tends to just sound squashed. And, I mean, rock, pop, you know, that'd be more like on the negative 9 side, but more mellow stuff like folk or whatever might be more on like negative 14 side. So, tr again, try to give your mastering engineer lots of headroom uh, with which to work. You also need to control the loudness a little bit on your own. Like, you can't just let them do everything because that's going to drastically alter your mix. If you want more information about this, make sure you uh, listen to the show about headroom and gain staging, and also check out my YouTube videos about mixing for loudness. I explain a lot of stuff there as well, which talks about sort of what you can do in the mix um, to control your loudness a little bit better, to make sure that it's not too low, but also not too high, um, so that when it goes to mastering, it's not a huge surprise for them, right? Like, they're not doing a ton of heavy lifting, because, again, you shouldn't rely on the mastering engineer to get the sound, like, oh, well, this sounds really super overly dynamic, and when it goes to master, that'll be fine. Like, you don't want to leave that to the mastering engineer. You want it to be controlled, and in roughly in the vein of what you're going for in your mix. Again, it's not going to be as loud as a master, but you want to be in that territory, okay, or at least getting somewhat close to it. Okay, You don't want to leave all of that up to the mastering engineer. Anyway, you can watch those videos. They'll make more sense. So I hope that all of this didn't just go right over your head and this show was just boring you to death. 
Um, again, I highly recommend looking this stuff up if you want to learn more and read about the differences. But I wanted to give you a primer on basically what all these terms are because they're important and they really help us understand level and loudness and decibels and power and wattage and voltage and digital versus analog versus, you know, metering and all this stuff. It helps us understand that stuff a little bit better. And it also helps us communicate more clearly when talking to other engineers about what we really need, what we're really talking about. Um, and so to not get confusing or, you know, make the situation worse by maybe saying something opposite of what you mean. So anyway, I hope this has been helpful and not a total bore. If you have any questions or comments, please send me an email at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Also, make sure to subscribe on iTunes to this podcast if you haven't already. And consider funding us on PayPal or Patreon. You can go to recordingloungepodcast.com and click the support RL tab to make a one-time or recurring donation using either of these uh, great platforms. Um, and again, if you have any questions or comments or show suggestions for topics, um, send me an email. I'd be more than happy to do that. I'm, I'm pretty good about responding to emails. Any of you who have emailed me in the past will tell you that. Um, but sometimes I, I get real busy and I don't respond to emails for a while. And every now and then I get a couple emails that go to my spam folder. So I apologize about that. But I always like hearing from you guys. Also, make sure to sign up for our mailing list, which is a zero spam. I promise I don't sell your information to anybody's mailing list um, that basically alerts you when there's a new episode, when there's new YouTube videos, things like that. Uh, sometimes I share a quick tip or something like that, but I don't, I don't bombard you. I promise with, uh, with emails like every day or even every week about podcast stuff. You, I'm sure you already have more than enough of those subscription emails in your inbox. I know I do. I unsubscribe to a lot of them, but I promise my newsletter is not like that. Okay. I really only send them out when there's a new episode or something of note. Okay, and I also don't waste your time with like, here's a cool trick for microphones every single day, you know, like some of these things do. So that annoys me. I don't know about you. Anyway, uh, thanks for being listeners and fans. I will talk to you guys very soon on our next show about commonly confused audio terminology. Thanks.